This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. April 4th, 1968. Evening. The sun was just beginning to set along the seafoam doors of the Lorraine Motel. Tonight was like any other night. People laughed and talked around the block. There was music playing from somewhere down the street. On the balcony of room 306, Martin Luther King Jr. enjoyed the view. King had a concert that night a charity event that would continue the battle for civil rights with soulful music. But Dr. King would never make it to that concert. Across the street, in a boarding house, a man was loading a Remington Model 760 rifle. He directed the barrel of the gun toward King, took aim, and quietly pulled the trigger. At precisely 6.01 p.m., a gunshot rang out across the street. The 30 6 bullet entered King's right cheek and broke his jaw. King collapsed instantly onto the balcony. The assassin didn't wait to see the aftermath. They knew what they had done. They packed up their gear and left their room. But something strange happened as the assassin left the boarding house. The assassin dropped the murder weapon and a pair of binoculars on the street. Both tools were covered in fingerprints. But the assassin decided they didn't need to hide them. They just dropped them. Was this a careless mistake? Or was it the beginning of a darker plan? (laughs) 
Welcome to Conspiracy Theories on the Parcast Network. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to Parcast.com slash merch for more information. You can listen to previous episodes of Conspiracy Theories, as well as all of Parcast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. Today is our second and final episode on the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Last week, we explored the official story of his death and the difficult search for his murderer that followed. This week, we'll investigate the unofficial stories that surround the tragedy of Martin Luther King's death. We will explore alternative murderers and agencies that might be behind one of the most impactful American assassinations of all time. We'll explore these different suspects through three main theories. Conspiracy theory number one, King's official assassin, James Earl Ray, was framed. Conspiracy theory number two, The assassination of Dr. King was organized by a local restaurant owner who had ties to the mafia. And conspiracy theory number three, King's death was orchestrated by members of the FBI who were bent on stopping the civil rights movement. And as always, we will end the episode with what we think is the most plausible solution to this complex web of political and civic attitudes. As you may recall, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was an American Baptist minister who grew to become the face of the black civil rights movement from 1954 to 1968. His work was dedicated to combating racial inequality from the Jim Crow laws and providing black communities with the basic human rights they well deserved in a time of violent oppression and extreme racism. Through his incredible speeches, nonviolent activism, and unquestionable questionable faith in his black community, Martin Luther King Jr. had an undeniable impact on the future of American racial and social politics. Officially, his life was cut short when a 40-year-old convict named James Earl Ray pulled the trigger of a Remington Model 760 rifle on April 4, 1968, just after 6 p.m. According to MLK's official autopsy, he had been standing on the second-floor balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, when the bullet made contact with his right cheek and jaw at 6.01 p.m. By 7.05 p.m., approximately one hour after the shooting, MLK was pronounced dead at St. Joseph Hospital in Memphis. What followed was a two-month-long manhunt for James Earl Ray until he was caught on June 8, 1968. About a year later, on March 10, 1969, James Earl Ray pled guilty and was sentenced to 99 years in the Tennessee State Penitentiary. To many, this is the end of the story. Justice was served and James Earl Ray was punished for his hideous crime. But to others, the truth isn't that simple. 
Many theorists believe James Earl Ray was merely one piece in a massive puzzle of the deadly conspiracy. Some even believe he was not a part of the assassination at all. This brings us to our first major theory, conspiracy theory number one, James Earl Ray was framed. Under this theory, James Earl Ray wasn't directly involved in the murder of MLK. In fact, he was just a scapegoat that was blamed for the murder, so the real killer could get away free. Believe it or not, there is actually a surprisingly large amount of evidence to suggest that this theory is correct, with the greatest support being the murder weapon itself. As we mentioned in the teaser, the Remington rifle and a pair of binoculars were left outside the crime scene. The initial police report read, quote, package dumped close to the site, which included a rifle and binoculars, both with Ray's fingerprints, end quote. This package was not damaged, suggesting Ray did nothing to hide his evidence. He simply left it behind. As you may recall, the rifle and binoculars left behind were paramount in starting the manhunt for James Earl Ray. From the moment these items were found, Ray became the sole suspect in the crime. Well, this was mainly because the murder weapon had James Earl Ray's prints all over it. Now, it's possible that James Earl Ray panicked after he shot MLK and left the crime scene as fast as possible, thus leaving the murder weapon behind but he should have wiped his prints off the gun at the very least. After all, Ray was no stranger to crime. In 1952, Ray was arrested for robbing a taxi driver at gunpoint in Illinois. He then robbed a Kroger store at gunpoint seven years later in 1959. After both crimes, he hid the assault weapon in his apartment or motel. Ray was familiar with firearms and had used them all his life to get his way. It seems very sloppy for him to suddenly make a careless mistake and abandon the murder weapon. If this is all sounding a little too convenient for you, you're not alone. With the discovery of the rifle, theorists began to construct their own narratives. The most popular theory is that someone planted the gun and binoculars to frame Ray for the murder. There are a couple of facts from the case that encourage this way of thinking. The first is the speed of Ray's conviction. After Ray was arrested on June 8, 1968, he never received a trial. Instead, he immediately pled guilty to the murder and was sentenced to life in jail. That said, there is a legal reason to why Ray suddenly accepted the guilt of the murder. According to the state of Tennessee, if Ray was convicted by a jury, he would have been eligible for the death penalty. If he pled guilty himself, the maximum sentence was life in prison. According to Ray, his lawyer, Percy Foreman, advised him to do just that in this situation. With such strong evidence against him, he'd be lucky to get life. That said, wouldn't this be the perfect cover-up for the true murder? By making Ray choose between death and a life in prison, the true murderer would have forced Ray into confessing to their crime. Theorists believe the true murderer banked on the fact that Ray would choose to live rather than insist on his innocence and risk the death penalty. To further encourage this theory, Ray's testimony immediately changed after he entered prison. He originally took full responsibility for the murder, but following his sentence on March 10, 1969, Ray claimed he had no part in the murder. This new story came to a head when Ray was visited by King's son, Martin Luther King III, in 1997. MLK III wanted to learn the full story of his father's death and decided that Ray still had more of the story to share. 
Although we don't know all the specifics of their meeting, we do know that they spent several hours together talking, and at the end of the meeting, MLK III believed that Ray was innocent. Ray's new story was so convincing that the King family asked for his case to be reopened, and in November 1999, it was. Ray was actually given a trial this time, and he shared a brand new version of the story. During this hearing, Ray claimed that he was not the shooter, but was in fact framed by a business partner of his. Ray never knew his partner's full name, but he went by Raoul. According to Ray, Raoul was a smuggler and acquaintance. They had met at the Neptune Bar in Montreal, Canada in July 1967 and bonded over the potential gain of smuggling contraband weapons across the Mexican and Canadian borders. The meeting was a hit, and in the years that followed, the two men began to work closely together. During the nine months prior to MLK's assassination, Ray and Raoul met over 15 times in numerous cities, including Montreal, Detroit, Birmingham, New Orleans, Atlanta, and Memphis. It's important to note that all of this comes from Ray's testimony, and to this day, we don't have any proof to suggest these meetings ever took place. Nevertheless, Ray insisted that none of these meetings or conversations were about Dr. King. They were exclusively about weapon smuggling and their growing operation. If you believe Ray, he was stunned when his friend murdered King, and even more surprised to find himself framed for the murder. On the day of the assassination, Ray had been instructed by Raoul to rent a room in the boarding house across the street from the Lorraine Motel. He was then instructed to purchase the murder weapon from Knipe Store, a local gun shop. At this point, Ray thought Raoul was asking him to prepare an order for smuggling. Ray met with Raoul at the boarding house and gave him the rifle. He then left the room many hours before the fateful shot was fired. Ray testified he was nowhere near the hotel when MLK was shot. He was, in fact, fixing a flat tire on his car at the local gas station a few miles away. This news story about his tire problems was not told when he was arrested. And as far as we know, it was never told to Ray's lawyer, Percy Foreman. Interested in this new lead, the Tennessee authorities asked for more information about the mysterious Raoul. But this is where the details start to get fishy. For reasons we don't know today, Ray has described Raoul in drastically different ways through his many testimonies. According to Ray, Raoul is a blonde, Latin, French-Canadian, approximately 35 years old, a red-haired French-Canadian, a Latin man of average height with sandy-colored hair, a small Mexican man with light skin, a dark-complexioned man with sharp features and dark red hair standing 5 feet 10 inches, and a man with black hair with a reddish tint. It seems every time Ray was asked to describe Raoul, the details changed a little more. We don't know if this was because of the amount of time Ray spent in prison or because of a loyalty to his partner, but these inconsistencies severely stunted the hunt for Raoul. To this day, we don't know if Raoul was real or a clever fabrication by Ray. Doesn't help that Ray's entire second testimony in 1999 was full of holes. As just one example, he claimed he was at a gas station fixing a flat tire during the time of the shooting. But when police questioned the gas station staff, 
They discovered Ray hadn't been there at all on the day of the assassination. With such an overt lie, it's hard to trust any of Ray's testimony. Apart from his word, there's no proof he was anywhere but inside the boarding house at the time of MLK's death. All this considered, we're going to give this theory a solid 5 out of 10 on the plausibility scale. It's certainly possible that Ray was not acting alone, but there were no other prints found on the murder weapon. It really comes down to whose word you trust. Ray insisted that he was innocent until the day he died, but Tennessee authorities are bent on him being the murderer. There's certainly something strange about Ray's initial confession of guilt, but his second testimony alone isn't enough to confirm a dark partnership gone wrong. But Ray's confession is just the beginning of the strange proclamations of guilt in this story. Up next, we'll explore the mind of another man that was so insistent that he killed MLK that he took his claim to the circuit court. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life, at least not the ones you're thinking of, but they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the story. Our second theory is perhaps the strangest version of the truth. This theory involves the Mafia, a small Memphis burger restaurant, and the Vietnam War. Conspiracy theory number two. The assassination of MLK was organized by a local restaurant owner who had ties to the Mafia. The man that brought this theory into existence and was at the center of the conspiracy was Lloyd Jowers. He was the proud owner of Jim's Grill, a local bar and grill down the street from the Lorraine Motel at the time of MLK's death. But in 1993, he came forward on an ABC Primetime Live episode to tell the world that he hired someone to kill MLK as a favor for the mafia. According to the ABC special, the mafia gave Jowers $100,000 to set up the assassination. He told the world that he knew the real murderer of Dr. King, and he would tell the world why he organized the crime, but he refused to provide the details just yet. Hoping to find the truth, the King family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Jowers and his other unknown co-conspirators in 1998. During the trial, Jowers outlined a massive conspiracy plot that involved the FBI, CIA, the Army, and organized crime. 
and the American public ate his story up. According to Jowers, MLK had become a hot target in the criminal world because of his protests against the Vietnam War. Shortly before his assassination, MLK had threatened to march on Washington with massive anti-war protests. Allegedly, this was too much for the mafia to handle. According to Jowers, the mafia didn't like the rising civil rights movement because it threatened their power in America. However, there's not a clear example of exactly how the civil rights movement threatened the mafia's power. Yeah, but according to Jowers' claims, their solution to this dubious problem was to convince the U.S. government to orchestrate an operation to murder MLK and then to frame a random petty criminal, namely James Earl Ray. The U.S. government needed someone to take the fall for MLK's death, so they blamed the whole operation on a petty criminal that happened to be in Tennessee at the time. According to Jowers, he was chosen by the mafia to hire the assassin who would actually kill Martin Luther King Jr. After considering his options, Jowers chose a police officer on the Memphis division to kill King. The police officer's name was Lieutenant Earl Clark. Well, this all sounds wildly grandiose, but Jowers and his lawyer, William Pepper, provided the court with proof. They showed the jury ballistic evidence that proved the gun used to shoot MLK was not Ray's rifle. In the initial police report, the bullet wound was said to have entered King's chin and neck, but the full autopsy reported that the bullet entered his right cheek. According to Jowers, this proved that the shooter actually shot at King from directly below his room, not from across the street, as the police had initially indicated. The trial was so convincing that on December 8, 1999, a Memphis jury unanimously agreed that Jowers was part of a larger conspiracy surrounding MLK. This jury agreed that James Earl Ray had been framed and that Jowers knew the truth about the murder. But there were a few holes in this sudden self-proclamation. Not the least of which was that it all rested on a small restaurant owner having ties with the mafia. Ties so strong he was trusted with selecting the assassin for one of the most important men in the civil rights movement? Ties that were hard to prove in addition to being far-fetched. But an even stranger hole in Jower's case was his willingness to confess in the first place. Throughout the entire trial, he and his lawyer were committed to proving that he was guilty to the jury. But for some reason, he had waited 25 years to come forward with his story. This is where the details start to get fuzzy. After another investigation on June 9th, 2000, the United States Department of Justice decided to take their own look at the facts that Jowers was presenting. They recircled over his ballistic investigation and found it to be highly speculative at best. It seems Jowers was pushing facts to his benefit. They then double-checked his connections to MLK and the Mafia. They didn't discover any covert communications between Jowers and the Mafia, but they did discover some bribe money. Apparently, an anonymous news company offered Jowers $300,000 in exchange for an embellished version of the MLK story. Jowers and his two sisters were also in the process of writing a book to further build the credibility of their case. With Jowers' guilty verdict, they were expecting their book sales to soar. 
They even hoped that a major motion picture would happen down the line. Although Jower's story was discredited by a Department of Justice investigation after the trial, his stunt still had a massive effect on the psyche of the American public. His grand story fit the grand personality that was MLK. It made sense that a massive mafia operation was behind his murder. As we've seen in other episodes in this podcast, conspiracy theorists thrive on a story that feels like a spy thriller. Jowers had given the public just that. To this day, many theorists refuse to believe that MLK was murdered by James Earl Ray. They believe that Jowers or some member of the mafia was responsible for MLK's death. Any evidence that supports the opposite is simply the mafia trying to cover their tracks. Well, there is one more piece of the puzzle that supports this theory, and it has everything to do with the landscaping of the Lorraine Motel. According to Solomon Jones, a volunteer who often drove MLK around town when he was in Memphis, there were bushes around the motel, but they were uprooted and moved the day after MLK's death. On the day of the murder, Jones heard the shots and ran out into the street. He told police that he could, quote, see a person on the thicket on the west side of Mulberry with his back to him. According to Jones, it looked like the man had a hood over his head. This would have been investigated, but the next day, the Memphis Public Work employees removed the bushes, thus destroying the crime scene. It's possible that the bushes were scheduled to be removed well before the murder, but it's an odd coincidence. Piecing the facts together, the assassin hiding in these bushes matches Jower's story that the bullet came from below King rather than across the street. It's possible that these bushes were the only clue we had to the true killer's location. But this is a highly speculative story. A single eyewitness testimony of a suspicious figure is just not enough to confirm an entire mafia backstory to MLK's death. But this hasn't stopped theorists from collecting and compiling tiny details like these. Part of the thrill of the conspiracy culture is finding a breakthrough, even if that breakthrough is just wishful thinking. Looking back at the facts, we'll have to give this one a 2 out of 10 on the plausibility scale. It's not totally impossible, but we don't have any concrete evidence to suggest a correlation between Jowers and MLK. As such a blatant publicity stunt, it's hard to give this theory any more credibility than a rumor. That said, many historians believe this twisted story was the catalyst for our third and final theory. As our most credible theory, this final theory takes the grandness of a blockbuster film and matches it up with a simple motive that is extremely believable. Up next, our final theory. And now, back to the story. Our final theory is our most plausible conspiracy theory yet for the assassination of Martin Luther King, and it's easily the most troubling. Conspiracy theory number three. MLK's death was an orchestrated operation by members of the FBI who were bent on stopping the civil rights movement. Under this theory, a secret branch of the U.S. government planned MLK's assassination and then committed the crime in order to strong-arm the civil rights movement into submission. This seems like a radical theory, but there is a kernel of truth here. In 1971, a covert spy program was declassified to the American public. 
It revealed that the FBI oversaw a variety of highly questionable surveillance operations throughout the 60s and even in the 70s. All these confirmed operations form the heart and soul of many conspiracy theories today. And it's hard to fight with the theorists here. All of these operations were highly covert and directly targeted American citizens. The first on the list is the Counterintelligence Program, or COINTELPRO. Developed in 1956, this operation oversaw a series of illegal surveillance operations throughout the 60s on American citizens. The initial goal of this program was to monitor and disrupt communist influence in America, but the agency quickly spread its focus to many other organizations. According to FBI records, COINTELPRO had eyes on the Communist Party USA, the anti-Vietnam War organizers, feminist organizations, the Puerto Rican independence group, the KKK, and the Black Power Movement. One of their main concerns inside the Black Power Movement was none other than Martin Luther King Jr. himself. Theorists believe that this operation saw MLK as a rising threat to white America and decided to order an attack on him. Once again, this seems like a radical theory, but COINTELPRO proved that this was a possibility inside their agency. One of the best examples of this came in a conflict between two black nationalist groups in the 1960s, the Black Panthers and the U.S. organization. They both fought for the freedoms of black people. So for all intents and purposes, they were on the same side. But in 1969, the FBI sent a fake letter to the U.S. organization claiming the Black Panthers were plotting to murder the head of their organization. U.S. organization believed this fabrication, and these two organizations actually went to war for months. This resulted in numerous deaths and a bloody gun battle on the UCLA campus. The goal of this manipulative and deadly conceit was to spin the black power movement on its head and prevent them from becoming too powerful. And it actually worked. The public image of both groups suffered greatly as a result of the shootout. To this day, many Americans remember the Black Panthers and U.S. organization as highly radical, regardless of their many positive values. This is in part because of the FBI's manipulation. But COINTELPRO did not stop there. They also specifically targeted Martin Luther King in 1964. According to historian Taylor Branch, Martin Luther King received a suicide package from the FBI. Inside the package were audio recordings which were illegally obtained by tapping MLK's phone from 1962 to 1964. FBI agents actually snuck into MLK's hotel rooms during these years and placed bugs to record his conversations. The FBI audio technician, John Matter, then arranged the audio files to highlight King's infidelity to his wife. Along with the package, the FBI included a suicide letter that urged MLK to kill himself before he could receive his Nobel Peace Prize later that same year. If he didn't take his own life in 1964, they would release the files to the public and slander his name for all time. Thanks to a Washington Post journalist by the name of Carl Rowan, we actually have a copy of that letter on the internet. Here is an excerpt. Quote, King, look into your heart. You are a colossal fraud and an evil, vicious one at that, end quote. 
The note went further to say, quote, You are done. There is only one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. End quote. Yes, the FBI formally wrote those words. In the face of this horrific threat, MLK didn't back down. He refused to be scared into submission and went on to accept his Nobel Peace Prize in early December 1964. Following this, COINTELPRO proceeded with their threat. They offered the audio files to a variety of news organizations, including Newsweek and Newsday. The tapes were released to the public and spread around the world in a matter of days. But they didn't defame MLK as much as the FBI had hoped. In fact, they backfired. Supporters of Dr. King, including his wife, Coretta Scott King, saw the tapes as a pitiful attempt on MLK's reputation. After hearing the tapes, Coretta was quoted saying, I couldn't make much out of it. It was just a lot of mumbo-jumbo. After this backfire, the tapes were removed from the public's access and remain a hidden piece of American history to this day. Theorists speculate the CIA still has a collection of MLK's darkest audio moments, but we'll never know for sure. As you can imagine, the FBI was a little bitter that their plan didn't stop MLK from soaring to become one of the greatest civil rights activists in American history. In fact, J. Edgar Hoover threw a fit and decided the next best way to defame MLK was to start calling him names on public television. From November 18, 1964 to MLK's assassination, Hoover threw a slew of names at MLK, including calling him, quote, the most notorious liar in America. This adolescent name-calling prompted a meeting between MLK and Hoover on December 1st, 1964. We don't know the specifics of that meeting, but we do know that Hoover continued to make references to MLK's sexual activities during this meeting. According to King's family, King left the meeting deeply shaken by the experience, and we can't blame him. One of the greatest agencies in American politics had just stooped to the level of intimidation and slander. Regardless of what happened, theorists believe this meeting was the beginning of the end for MLK. They think the FBI was insulted by King's resistance toward their threats and decided to end his life once and for all. As troubling as this all seems, there is some credence to it. Conspiracy theorists point to a mysterious government operation called Operation Lantern Spike that may have resulted in MLK's death. We only really know two things about this mysterious operation. It was scheduled to take place in the Memphis, Tennessee area at the time of MLK's death, and its goal was to prevent the rise of a black messiah. According to the few public documents we have about this operation, one of the goals of the group was to replace Martin Luther King with a more pliable leader. The challenge with this theory is the extreme lack of information available to the public. It's possible this group was more of a surveillance program than an assassination operation. We may never know. In the years since MLK's death, Many U.S. representatives have tried to expose these documents, but they have all been denied. The latest began with House of Representative member Cynthia Ann McKinney in 2005. She accused the FBI of being involved with MLK's murder and asked for the release of the Operation Lantern Spike documents. The FBI denied her request. In fact, 
the documents have been sealed until 2027, at which point the FBI has the option to renew their classification. So we may never know the truth. That said, if the FBI was willing to blackmail and send threats to civil rights leaders, it's possible that Lantern Spike was, in fact, the operation that ended MLK's life. If this is true, James Earl Ray would still have been involved to some degree. After all, his prints were at the scene of the crime, and he bought the rifle that ended MLK's life. To this day, theorists disagree about how much Ray was involved. Some believe he was hired by the FBI to pull the trigger, but was later betrayed by the FBI. Others believe he was chosen as the perfect, unwitting scapegoat for the FBI. At the time of the murder, Ray had a criminal record and had even escaped prison once. He was and is a believable suspect. Looking at the plausibility of this one, we're going to give this theory a solid 7 out of 10. It's clear the FBI was willing to break all kinds of rules to amass control over the American public in the 1960s especially to stop the work of leaders in the civil rights movement. That said, there's no public documentation within the FBI that suggests that they orchestrated a fully-fledged hit on MLK. They were clearly bullies that were happy to see violence as a result of their manipulation. But actually pulling the trigger on a world leader is another level. But the tempers were there. It's possible that King's consistent success pushed the FBI to commit the darkest deed in its history. It comes down to how much jealousy a man like Hoover could possess. Many of the theories we discuss today tap into the core of conspiracy theory culture. They explore a string of facts that put the blame on a large clandestine agency with power over its people. With a larger-than-life leader, we want a larger-than-life answer to his death. But sometimes the truth is as simple as an angry person with a gun. That said, which of the theories we discuss today is the most plausible? Although Jower's story was proven wrong in the court of law, many theorists today still see his confession as a point in the right direction. The only authority that has publicly denied Jower's testimony is the same American government that he claims might have ordered the attack. It makes sense that they would cover their tracks. But we have to go with a secret government operation as the most plausible explanation of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. There's a myriad amount of evidence of racism and oppression from the FBI during the 1960s. With top-secret government programs like Operation Lantern Spike still shrouded in secrecy, a government strike seems like a very real and terrifying possibility. It's possible that Hoover pushed his agency a little too far when MLK refused to back down. We'd like to leave you with the words of Coretta King, MLK's wife. Quote, there is abundant evidence of a major, high-level conspiracy in the assassination of my husband. I believe Mr. Ray was set up to take the blame." End quote. Regardless of who pulled the trigger to end Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, his loss was and will continue to be felt around the world. His dedication to a cause larger than himself has helped form a world that is better and stronger than generations before. He dreamed not just of the privatized notion of content of character rather than color of skin. He dreamed of the public policy notion of once we change the law, 
He used his faith to challenge the law. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Conspiracy Theories, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Until then, remember... The truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskind, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Conspiracy Theories is written by Michael Herman and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.